Chapter 18 of The Ghost Ship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ghost Ship by John Conran Hutchinson. Chapter 18 A Black Business. Be jabber, sir! exclaimed the Irishman in his very broadest brogue, and with a comical grin on his face that certainly must have eclipsed that of which he complained in the professor of his college who had caught him and his fellow-student trespassing on his medical preserves. To tell the truth and shame the devil, Colonel, the poor old creature whose complaint we couldn't underconstumble at all, at all, sure, was suffering from a fit of apoplexy, a thing easy enough to recognize by any doctor of experience, though faith it might have been great to us. We were all very much amused and had a good laugh at this naive confession, even Colonel Vereker sharing in the general mirth in spite of his profound melancholy and the pain he felt from his wounded leg which made him wince every now and again i noticed during the narration of the story garry o'neill had thus told with the utmost good humour it must be confessed at his own expense as indeed he had made us understand beforehand that it would be by george cried the skipper after having his laugh out You'll be the death of me some day with your queer yarns if you can't manage to do for me with your professional skill, or by the aid of your drugs and lotions, poisons, most of them, and all your murderous-looking instruments besides. Oh, no fear of that, Captain, you're too tough a customer, rejoined the doctor with a knowing look in the direction of Mr. Stokes, who had made himself purple in the face and was panting and puffing on his seat trying to recover his breath. Faith thou nor sword thou thou talking a medical skill the sooner I say after this leg of our friend here, the better I'm thinking. With the best of wills, assented the colonel, who had finished his luncheon by this time, and certainly presented a much improved appearance to that he had worn when entering the saloon. I am quite at your service, doctor, and promise to be as quiet as that first patient of yours of whom you've just told us. Uh, "'Belay that, Colonel. None of your chaff about the old lady, if you love me, sure,' growled Garry, pretending to be indignant as he knelt down on the cabin floor and slid up the leg of the Colonel's trousers so as to inspect the wound. His nonsensical, quizzing manner changed instantly, however, on seeing the serious state of the injured limb, and he ejaculated in a subdued tone of voice, "'Holy Moses!' "'Why, sir,' said the patient quietly, "'what's the matter now?' "'Ah, uh, and uh, ye are asking me what's the matter,' cried Garry in a still more astonished tone. "'Faith, it's wanting to know I am how the devil you've ever been able to move about at all, at all, Colonel, with that thing there. Look at it now, and tell me what you think of it yourself, me darling. May the saints preserve us, but did anyone ever see such a leg?' It was, in truth, a fearful-looking object, being swollen to the most abnormal proportions from the ankle joint to the thigh, while the skin was of a dark hue, save where some extravasated blood clustered about a small punctured orifice just above the knee. Colonel Vereker laughed and shrugged his shoulders. "'The fortune of war,' he explained. "'One of those brutes shot me where that mark is.' "'but I think the bullet travelled all around my thigh "'and lodged somewhere up in the groin, I fancy, "'for I feel a lump there.' 
"'Sure, and I wonder you can fail anything,' cried Gary, who was probing for the missile all the time. "'A man that can walk about face like an opera dancer with a blue moldy leg like that uh, "'can't have much failing at all, at all, I'm thinking.' "'Ah, ah!' groaned the patient at last, on his touching the obnoxious bullet near the spot the colonel had indicated. "'Oh, uh, that hurts at any rate, doctor.' Uh, "'Just be easy a minute, me darling,' said the other soothingly, exchanging his probe for a pair of forceps, and proceeding deftly to extract the leaden messenger. "'And if you can't be easy, Faith, try and be as easy as you can.' In another second he had it out with a triumphant and gleeful shout. "'Ah!' ejaculated the colonel, the excessive pain causing him to clench his teeth with an audible snap. "'Faith, you may say, ah, now as much as you please,' said Garry, as he held out the villainous-looking bullet gripped in his forceps. "'For there's the base that did you all the damage, and we'll soon pull you up, Alana, with that ugly pace of mischief out here the way ashore.' "'Oh, dear me!' the poor colonel exclaimed as the doctor went on dressing the wound, and afterwards set to to bandage the whole leg, swathing it round like a mummy with lint, and then saturating it with some liniment to allay the swelling. Would to God all the mischief could be as easily made good. Oh, my little Elsie, my darling little girl. Cheer up, Colonel, cheer up, whispered the skipper, coming in from the stateroom on the starboard side of the saloon, whither he had gone to hunt up some special cigars, while Gary O'Neill was accomplishing his surgical operation. We're going ahead as fast as steam and a good ship can carry us, "'And we'll rescue your child, I'll wager, before nightfall. "'Have a smoke now, my friend, "'and while you're trying one of the Havanas, "'which never paid duty and none the worse for that, "'you can tell us how it all happened from the beginning to the end. "'I should like to hear the account of your voyage right through, Colonel, "'and how those blacks came to board you.' "'Certainly,' said Colonel Vereker, leaning back in his easy chair when Gary O'Neill had made an end of bandaging his leg and accepting one of the choice cigars the skipper offered him. "'I will tell you willingly, Captain, and you, gentlemen,' turning round and bowing to us, "'the sad story of our thrice ill-fated voyage.' "'Thrice ill-fated?' repeated Mr. Stokes inquiringly, the chief being rather argumentative by nature and possessing what he called a strictly logical turn of mind. "'But how's that, sir?' The colonel had his answer quite ready. "'I said thrice ill-fated advisedly, sir,' he replied, removing his cigar from his lips to emit a cloud of perfumed smoke, and then restoring the fragrant roll of tobacco to the mouth again. "'In the first place, sir, from my having been unlucky enough ever to start upon the voyage at all. Secondly, from the fact of a calm delaying us when passing between Puerto Rico and San Domingo, thereby enabling those treacherous negro scoundrels to see our ship in time and put out for us from the shore. And thirdly, because Captain Alphonse would not take my advice and use strong measures when the mutiny originally broke out, which might have prevented the terrible events that afterwards occurred. "'But, sir, if you will allow me, I shall get along better by telling you what happened, just in my own way.' Oh, "'Certainly, sir,' immediately replied Mr. Stokes, profuse in his apologies. But "'Pray pardon my interruption.' The colonel bowed in token of his forgiveness, and then resumed his yarn. 
Our ship, the Saint-Pierre of Marseilles, Jacques Alphonse, master and part owner, sailed from La Guayra on October 25th, barely a fortnight ago, said he. In addition to her captain, of course, she carried two mates and a crew of twenty-five hands all told, and she was bound for Liverpool with a general cargo of cocoa, coffee, and hides, besides a mixed assortment of indigo, orris root, sarasparilla, and other raw drugs for the English market. Were you and your little daughter the only passengers? Uh, no, Senor Applegarth, replied the other. There were also on board uh, Monsieur and Madame Boisson from Caracas, returning home to Europe after a lengthened residence in the Venezuelan capital, where they had carried out a large millinery business, supplying the dusky senoritas of the hybrid Spanish and native republic with the latest Parisian modes. Don Miguel, the proprietor of an extensive estancia in the interior, and little Mr. Johnson, a Britisher, of not much account in your country, I guess, not a gentleman at all events, in my humble opinion. He was travelling for some mercantile house in London connected with the manufactory of uh, chocolates or sweets or something of that sort. I cannot say I cared much for the lot, as they were not people of my class, so I did not allow my Elsie, my darling, my pet, to associate with them more than could be helped save with Madame Boisson, who was a kind, good-natured sort of woman, though decidedly vulgar. Oh, dear me, it was a thousand pities we ever started on that disastrous voyage. It was unlucky from the very first. Faith, interposed Gary O'Neill. But how is that, sir? We were too late in reaching La Guayra in the first instance, replied Colonel Vereker. I had planned, my friend, to take the French steamer for Brest, but on arriving at the port I found she had already left, and while deliberating about what I should do under the circumstances, for there would not be another mail boat for a fortnight at least, I met Captain Alphonse. Uh, he was an old friend of mine, a friend of long standing, so on his telling me that his vessel was going to sail on the following day, and would probably convey me to Brest, where he said he would have to report himself prior to proceeding to Liverpool with his cargo, quite as soon as I should arrive as if I waited for the next steamer. I made up my mind to accompany him. But, Colonel, suggested uh, Captain Applegarth, you might have gone direct to England by one of the West India mail steamers, which touch at La Guayra on their route homeward from Colon. I know that, my friend, said the other. I could have caught one of them the following week. This would not have suited my purpose, however, sir. I wished to proceed direct to Brest, for I could get easily on to Paris, where I intended placing my little Elsie at school in the convent of l'enfant Yesu at Neuilly, under the guardianship of some good nuns, by whom her poor mother was educated and brought up. It was a promise, my friend, to the dead. I see, Colonel rejoined the skipper apologetically, lighting his cigar again, having allowed it to go out while listening to the other. I see, sir. Go on. I'm all attention. Well, then, continued the colonel, these preliminaries being all arranged, Elsie and I went aboard the Saint-Pierre, a full-rigged sailing ship of some eight hundred tons, the morning of the twenty-eighth of last month. And on the evening of the same day, as I have already told you, we made sail and quitted the anchorage where the ship had been loading, 
abreast of San Miguel, a port that guards the roadstead to the eastward, where it is open to the sea. "'Aye, I know La Guaira well, Colonel,' put in the skipper at this point, showing that he was following every detail. "'I was in the Royal Mail line when I was a nipper, before joining my present company.' "'I recollect the night we sailed,' resumed the other, paying no attention to Captain Applegarth's remark, but speaking with his eyes fixed, as if in a dream, and seeing mentally before him the scenes he described. "'The moon was shining brightly when we got under way.' lighting up the trinchera bastion and making the mountains in the background seem higher than they were from the deep shadows they cast over the town lying below. This latter lay embosomed amid a mass of tall coconut trees and gorgeous palms with other tropical foliage, and had a shining beach of white sand immediately in its front, stretching round the curling bay on which the surf broke in the moonlight with a phosphorescent glow and a hollow sound as if beating over a grave. Heavens! It was a grave of all my dearest hopes and plans, for that, sir, was one of the few last peaceful nights I have of late known and very probably ever shall know again. Faith, now don't say that, sir, cried out Gary at this. You'll have a peaceful one tonight, sure, or I'm no prophet. Beg Gorado! I never was, so far as that goes. The skipper grinned at this sympathetic interpolation, and the colonel's sombre face lighted up a bit as he turned his pathetic eyes on the speaker, as if wishing to share his hopefulness. Ah, doctor, you do not know what grief and anguish are like, he said mournfully. But to go on with my story... I may tell you that had our voyage progressed like our start, I should have nothing to deplore. For the land breeze filling our sails, we bore away buoyantly from the Venezuelan coast, the ship shaping a course north by west toward the Mona Passage, as the channelway is called from a rock in its center lying between Haiti and Puerto Rico. Now this route is held to be the best, I believe, for passing out into the open Atlantic from the labyrinthine groups of islands and innumerable islets that gem the blue waters of the Caribbean Sea. It is a course, too, which by its directness and the northerly current and westerly wind there to be met, saves a lot of useless tacking about and beating to windward, as you no doubt, Captain, very well know. The skipper nodded his head. You're quite a sailor, Colonel, he said approvingly. Where did you manage to pick up your knowledge of navigation and seafaring matters, if I may ask the question, sir? "'In the many voyages I have made during a somewhat adventurous life,' replied the other, "'I have invariably kept my eyes and ears open, Captain. "'There are many things thus to be learnt I have found out from experience, "'which, although seemingly unimportant in themselves, "'frequently turn out afterwards to be of very great use to us, "'sometimes, indeed, almost unexpectedly so.' "'Aye, aye, Colonel.' "'My opinions are right down to the ground,' said the skipper, looking towards me. "'Just you put that in your pipe, Dick Haldane, and smoke it.' "'Yes, young sir,' added Colonel Vereker, emphasizing this piece of advice. "'That rule of life has stood me in good stead on more than one occasion, both on land and on shipboard. Had I not learned something of the way of your sailors, for instance, I might not have thought of lashing the St. Pierre's helm amidships on the breaking out of the mutiny.' and so prevented all our going to the bottom subsequently when it came to the blow, 
for all of us were then fighting for our lives, and no one had time to attend to the ship, save in the way of letting go what ropes were handiest. "'Aye, that may be well enough, Colonel,' observed the skipper in his dry fashion. "'But your argument cuts both ways. "'If your helm hadn't been lashed down, remember, "'the ship would have been yawing about "'and drifting in this direction and that, "'and we should probably have come across her long ago, "'like that boat from which we picked you up, "'instead of her bearing away right before the wind "'and our having to go in chase of her, sir, "'as we are now doing.' "'That's true. I did not think of that,' returned the colonel impulsively half starting from his seat in his excitement we must be near her now captain though surely we must find them and i must see my little girl again cape easy my darling cape easy here interposed garry o'neil before captain applegarth could answer the question sure mr fawcett promised to give us the word when she hove in sight and you're only disturbing yourself for nothing colonel "'More's the pity, too, Mamaruchel, when your leg is progressing so elegantly, and the swilling going down as sweetly as possible. Now keep easy, if only to oblige me. Faith, Colonel, may professional reputation's at stake.' The Irishman, all the time he was talking, was carefully attending to the injured limb, loosening a bandage here, tightening another there, and keeping the lint dressing moist the while with a lotion which he applied gently to the surface by means of a sponge. So, impressed alike by his tender solicitude thus practically shown on his behalf, as much as by his opportune admonition, the colonel was forced to remain quiet. "'Ah, uh, wish he'd be quick about it.' he muttered to himself. "'Well, doctor, as you will not let me move, I suppose you will let me go on with my tale, that is, if it interests you.' "'Aye, aye, I want to hear everything,' said the skipper. "'And fire away, Colonel. There's plenty of time for you to reel off your yarn before we overhaul the chase.' "'All right, then. I will proceed,' replied the other. All went well with us on the voyage until the afternoon of the third day after sailing from La Guayra, when, unfortunately, the weather changed, and the westerly wind, which had favoured us so far, suddenly failed us, after wafting us through the Mona Passage, and we became becalmed off Cap San Angano, to the northward of Haiti. Haiti! exclaimed old Mr. Stokes, waking up from a short nap he had been having on the sly, and pretending to be keenly alive to the conversation. That's the famous Black Republic, ain't it? "'Famous black pandemonium, you mean,' retorted the colonel fiercely, his eyes flashing at once with fire. "'Excuse me, sir, but I have seen so much of these negro brutes who ape the airs of civilization, and yet after a century of freedom are more uncivilized in their habits and mode of life than the African slaves, their forefathers, whom Toussaint Louverture, as he styled himself their leader, freed from the yoke of their French masters a hundred years ago. But I feel—' the glorious name republic to be dishonored when associated with such vile wretches wretches a thousand times worse than the fantees of the west coast from whom they originally sprang oh my dear sir said mr stokes aghast at the tempest he had raised with his innocent remark you surprise me heavens you would be surprised sir "'If you knew these Haitians as I know them to be,' continued the colonel, his indignation still struggling for the mastery, 
a race of devil-worshippers and cannibals who confound liberty with license and have added all the vices of civilization to the inherent savagery of their innate animal nature. Well, sir, I should like to tell you a great deal more, but have not the time now. I am afraid I am forgetting myself. Where was I? Becalmed off Camp San Angano, promptly replied the skipper, sailor fashion. At least, so you said, Colonel. I fancy you must have had a little rougher weather in that latitude than you mentioned at first. We had, said Colonel Vereker, meaningly. Toward nightfall we drifted with the current more inshore, Captain Alphonse not dropping our anchor, as we expected the land breeze would spring up at sunset. Now, this did not come for an hour later, however, for already darkness had begun to surround us, and we could see the fireflies illuminating the brush beyond the beach. But this wasn't all observed, sir. Just as our sails filled again and the ship slowly drew out into the offing, we heard the splash of oars in the water astern. It was a boat coming after us, propelled by a dozen oars at least, pulling as hard as those handling them knew how, a shot or two from the shore and the sound of musket balls ripping the water, explaining in some way the reason for their anxiety to get beyond the range of the firing, on which account they sought the shelter of the Saint-Pierre, of course. At least, so we thought. "'Who goes there?' shouted out Captain Alphonse, who was standing alone with me, close to the taffrail. "'Poor devils! There's probably another insurrection at Port-au-Prince, and President Solomon up or down again.' He is always one or the other every year or so, and these poor fellows may be flying to save their miserable necks. Who goes there? Who goes there? But whether wanting all their energy for their oars or for some other reason known to themselves, those in the boat made no reply to our hail, and the next moment, ere the ship gathered way sufficient to gain on them, they were alongside, their long, unwieldy craft grating against the ship's timbers beneath her counter. "'Look out there, forwards!' cried Captain Alphonse, seeing the boat making, apparently, for our bows, but before a hand could be raised to prevent them, without asking permission in any way, or offering the slightest apology or excuse in advance for their conduct, a number of negroes jumped out of her and began climbing aboard the Saint-Pierre. "'Heavens! Gentlemen, clad in little beyond nature's own covering, as the majority of the intruders were, and looking in the dim light as black as the ace of spades, they seemed like so many demons, come to take possession of our unfortunate ship, as indeed they were. Oh, dear me! End of chapter 18